Welcome to the Worst Bestsellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And this is our first ever end of year, end of book year in review podcast. Um, On this podcast, obviously, we talk a lot about really terrible books. So we decided to spread a little bit of joy and compile our best list our lists of best books that we read in four different categories over the course of the year. There are books that didn't necessarily come out in 2014, but books that we personally read in 2014. And we also will be talking a little bit about what we consider the worst book for 20 in each category for this year. But worst is pretty subjective in this case. And so is best. I mean, I'm by no means trying to be some kind of objective reviewer. Like, it's stuff that I read that I liked a lot for whatever reason. Maybe it was really good. I mean, everything on my best list is probably good, but I'm I'm definitely not looking at this like, oh, I'm the New York Times reviewer. and Well, actually, I, you know, maybe I'm better than the New York Times book reviewers, but... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to just sort of be very objective about this. It's it's about our feelings, you guys. <laughs> your feelings about it's these true. books in the year 2014. <laughs> and um, for worst particularly, with one exception, basically every worst book that I have listed isn't even a bad book. It's just a book that I liked less than I liked the other books that I read this year. When I was a bookseller, I used to read like hundreds and hundreds of books a year. And I read everything good or bad. And I read even bad things that I didn't like when I started them because it was literally my job to be able to recommend books of all stripes to anyone who came in and asked. But now that I have a different nine to five job, I don't have time to read hundreds of books a year. So if I don't like a book or I don't think I'm going to like a book, I generally don't read it anymore. Except for this podcast. Yes, except for books for this podcast. <laughs> Which, just real quick, um, I think we can agree that the worst book that we read for the podcast was The Christmas Sweater, right? Oh, yes, yes, I mean, by far. It was The Christmas Sweater. Let's just get that out of the way and say so that the, that is the worst thing. The worst book that both <laughs> of us read, like, end of story, full stop, regardless of whatever this year was The Christmas Sweater. yeah. Okay, but let's not talk about that anymore. It it took me a long time to get out of my funk from it the last time. (laughs) Should we go ahead and... So let's start talking, yeah, about some good books to to (laughs) cleanse ourselves from that, from even mentioning that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our first category is um, children's or middle grade literature. Um, And I guess I'll go first. My... Um, my, my four before my number one book are not necessarily ranked because I liked everything so much, but, um, The Nightmares by Dan Pablocki, which I think actually, Renata, I read on your recommendation. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually read it. I recommended it to you based on, um, my friend and fellow librarian Abby's recommendation. Yeah, I, um, I'm working on a horror middle grade story right now, so I wanted to read a lot of middle grade horror that I may have missed, and I had asked the internet and Renata passed this one along, and I ended up really liking it. Um, it was, it's a story about a boy who, gosh, now I can't remember what it was about, <laughs> um, uh, a boy who... Does he have nightmares? He, sort of. 
and also not really. Um, in this town many years ago, a bunch of children disappeared and had been murdered. And now years later, strange things are happening. And he is teaming up with a new girl in school to try and get to the bottom of what's happening and why they're kind of pulled into it against their will. And it all sort of circles around this author who used to live in the town many years ago and disappeared. And uh, it was really interesting. It was really twisty. Um, It was genuinely creepy, which I appreciate it. And I absolutely would recommend it. Cool. I probably won't read that because I'm a wussy baby. But uh, (laughs) my number five pick for children's is Cold Cereal by Adam Rex, which is the first of a trilogy. And I would recommend the whole trilogy, really. And it's just this totally, like, bonkers, hilarious fantasy where, uh, you know, I, I think... It's hard for me to say. I think that a kid might get a lot out of this if they read it with a parent, because it's kind of full of tons of weird and obscure references. <laughs> but I think it's also the kind of thing, like, I know I had stuff that I read as a kid or saw on TV that was a parody or an illusion of something, and I didn't know. And then, like, ten years later, I was like, oh, like, that's what The Simpsons got that from. And so I feel like this cold cereal, like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in there where a kid might read that at a young age and then later be like, oh. And, I mean, I, again, like, I'm an adult. I've also read this book. I love Adam Rex, and I have read everything he's ever written. Um, But I feel like, like, looking back, like, I remember, too, a lot of cartoons like that. And at the time, I still laughed. Like, I still thought it was funny, even though... Like, 10 years later, I look back at Animaniacs, and I'm like, why did I think that was funny? How did I understand that when I was 10? (laughs) Right. Um, But anyway, in in short, it's the story of um, three children who live in a town that has a major uh, cereal company. And it turns out that they all the cereal mascots, it's very much ripped. You know, there's a leprechaun and a big talking bunny, and those are the main... There's, you know... It's very clearly based on, like, Lucky Charms and Tricks, but with different names. And anyway, it turns out (laughs) these magical beings are real, and they're being exploited by the cereal companies, and these kids have to try to rescue them, and also try to save themselves because their families are tangled up into it. Um, Really great. I listened to the first one as an audiobook, and it really kept my drive... I have, like, a 10-hour round-trip drive when I go home to visit my parents, so... I look for audiobooks that are about that long, which Cold Cereal was, and I would recommend that if you have a 10-hour drive. Um, The other two were not recorded as audiobooks yet, which made me mad, but I I read them. And I recommend also reading the print books because there are pretty funny illustrations. So either way, a solid win. Uh, Yeah, I definitely would recommend them as well. My next book... I guess my number number four best book um, for middle grade readers was Tanith Lowe and the Maleficent Seven by Derek Landy. That's part of the Skullduggery Pleasant series. Like eight Skullduggery Pleasant books came out this year. I don't know what his publishing schedule like is bonkers, but I swear to God, I think three different books in the series came out this year and they're really good. It's a really fun series. Um, I liked this one and I put this as my favorite because it's kind of an offshoot about one of the secondary characters in the series, Tanith Lowe, who's really awesome. Um, But I definitely recommend the whole series, which is kind of a sarcastic, not gritty necessarily, but a little bit darker 
sort of twist on the usual like a child finds out that they have magical powers and are part of a society that uh, filled with people who can do magic that the regular people don't know about this one's like it dials the sarcasm up really high the character in question is a young girl and her mentor is a really sarcastic walking talking skeleton detective This particular book deals with Tanith, who's a side character, and I'm pretty sure you could probably read it and enjoy it without reading, like, the nine other books in the series first, but definitely a lot of fun, and I highly recommend picking up any books in this series if you're into that sort of thing. If you like, kind of like, Harry Potter, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy... I was going to say tone-wise, I mean, I haven't read Tana, I haven't read that one, but I was going to say tone-wise, the series reminds me kind of of The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher, which is for adults. But if you like that, you might like Skullduggery Pleasant. Yeah, the one weird thing is that the books, um, he's the author's Irish, and the books are a big thing in the UK. And the last time I checked, they hadn't transferred over here really well, or at least really quickly. I think all nine books and a couple side books are out overseas. But here in America, only the first three or four have been published. But you can buy them, like, internationally on the internet if you're, you know, into that sort of thing. Like, maybe I am. All right. Uh, My number four pick is Gregor the Overlander by Suzanne Collins. This is the the first of her middle grade series that she actually wrote before The Hunger Games, but it it hasn't blown up quite the way The Hunger Games has. Um, I mean, not very much at all has blown up the way The Hunger Games has. But, uh, <laughs> I checked it out, and it took me a while. Like, I knew that she'd written it, and I, I did the thing where I just judged it by the title, and, like, I assumed that it was some kind of, like, Lord of the Ringsy, like high fantasy type thing, which I just generally don't really like very much. Sorry, nerds. And but it's not that it turns out. So uh, don't be a dummy and judge books by their title. It's um, the story of a boy named Gregor, who um, and he and his sister end up going to the Underland. They might not even call it. It's been a little while since I read this, to be honest. But they end up going to this society that's under the surface. And, um, of course, it turns out that there's a prophecy about Gregor. And he has to go on a quest and all that. But it's more of a modern... It's more of, like, urban fantasy. Because, you know, he has... He has his, you know, sort of, like, modern-day Earth values. And, like, his flashlight and all that. And it's just... It's kind of what you would expect from Suzanne Collins, I guess, um, just that it, it's a lot more going on than you, than you would expect from a story like that. It's fun. It's scary. You get really, you get really invested into, into Gregor's struggles. And uh, yeah, would recommend. All right. Sounds good. My next book would be Doll Bones by Holly Black, yeah. which... I really enjoyed, um, I like, I read so many good middle grade books this year. Like, as I was putting together this list, I was like, oh, Doll Bones, that was like the best book I read. Oh, no, because I read PSB 11 this year. And that was really, oh, my God, but no, what about The River Man? So <laughs> this was really difficult. This might have been, was very close to being my favorite book that I read this year. Um, it's about three kids who are friends, and they play together, and they make up stories and games together. And 
the the boy of the group is kind of told like all right time to to stop this now and um the girls come back to him and tell him that like weird things are happening like sh- they think that it has something to do with this doll that this one girl seems is haunted by and they need to essentially the doll <laughs> needs to be returned to the place where the ghost that's haunting it used to to live or else they'll all be haunted forever. And it's really creepy and weird. And I want to give like everything away, (laughs) but I really like Holly black and I really like this book. And if you like Holly black, I feel like maybe people might've skipped this one because it's a middle grade book and she's mostly known for a young adult, but definitely go for it. It was really creepy and I recommend it. Yeah, um, it would be on my list, too, but I read it last year, actually, so disqualified for me. But um, (laughs) really good. Holly Black, like Kate said, is great. Everything. I love everything that she has written, including this. Okay, so next on my list of things that that I did read in 2014 is File Under 13 Suspicious Incidents by Lemony Snicket. Um, I love Lemony Snicket. I've loved Lemony Snicket since, you know... Well, for me, college. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when, which is I, when I, I don't even know when the series of unfortunate events books start. They were not around when I was a child, but yeah, I, it was. I feel- it was around when we were in college because I remember buying them for my cousin, and I was in college, and I bought her the first three. So, yeah, that was because that was all that was out at that point. Yeah, and I just I love his sense of humor and his sensibility. I like, I've loved his adult books as Daniel Handler. Also, I I don't really want to talk about the incident at the National Book Awards because I was very disappointed. Um, but that said, I still I still love Lemony Snicket, and um, he has a newer series out now that's um, kind of a prequel to the series of unfortunate events, which I don't. I don't like it quite as much as I love the series of unfortunate events, but I still like it a lot. And then this was sort of a side book and it's in the vein of like Encyclopedia Brown or those like minute mysteries. There's 13 short mysteries that Lemony Snicket, the character is trying to solve in some way. And, you know, then you flip to the end and you can solve them. And it was just, um, for me, really fun to read and kind of go back to that childhood experience of reading all those Encyclopedia Brown mysteries and like trying to guess the end. And I never could, but it, it's just full of, of Lemony Snicket humor, which like I said, I love like one of my favorite ones is one of the mysteries is like, um, trying to figure out who stole a pie. And one of the suspects has like blueberries all around his mouth. And when interviewed, all he would say was, I love pie. And then you flip to the end, and it's like, obviously, it was the guy with blueberries on his mouth. Stop overthinking this. <laughs> so if, if you like that kind of thing, definitely check out File Under 13 Suspicious Incidents by Lemony Snicket. My next one is PSB 11 by Rita Williams Garcia, which is the follow-up to One Crazy Summer. So we're kind of doing this out of order a little bit. Because I know that that's on Renata's list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I thought this was a really sweet follow-up. Um, it's kind of about everything changing when the sisters return to the city after a summer away. And it's a lot of details about the political landscape that are woven in really well. But what I really loved about it, like aside from all of 
that and everything going on. Like, I feel like whenever people talk about these books, they talk about how they interact with the wider world from that time period. And while I do really appreciate that, like, the coming of age bit is the part that really, like, speaks to me. Delphine and and how she struggles with growing up and not wanting to grow up and wanting to grow up and all of that is just really amazing and really touching. And the fact that it is able to, you know, tell such a great story about that while weaving in all of those wider world setting and, and political things, I think is really great too. So definitely read this. I would say read the first one first. I put yes. One Crazy Summer <laughs> by my as my number two pick. And I, I read both of these books in this year. And I, I, I mean, I just sort of arbitrarily, because that one was first in the series, I guess, put it on my list. But I would definitely recommend both. They're everything Kate said, just both really great coming-of-age stories set among um, a family of black daughters in the 60s. And they, in One Crazy Summer, they go spend a summer with their absentee mother, who's very involved with Black Panthers. Like Kate said, the, the historical details woven in are really great. It's really, I think it's a really powerful way to, it's definitely something that a child could understand, like the target audience, but also as an adult reading it, you just get, or specifically for me, like as a white adult reading it, you can really get a more clear, like non-abstract sense of like what the Black Power movement would have meant to kids like that, to adults like that, what it was all about. And it's also very moving, very funny, just really great all around. And, you know, I would say specifically, like, I love that it does give you a picture of what it's like for kids, because I feel like, um, well, I feel like there are a lot of good books written for kids about the civil rights movement and that time period. Like, there's just something about these and the way that it, it dials it down, like, to these girls and their experiences in the larger picture that makes it so much more than just like what you learn in school and what you learn at museums and what you learn, you know, when you're researching historically, because it does have that kid's perspective and that like everyday life perspective to it. Yeah. So clearly we really like these books and we think that you should read them. (laughs) And I mean, I'm a little behind the curve on this. I think, I think one crazy summer came out at least a few years ago and I've definitely heard other librarians and, and readers rave about it, and I just never picked them up until this year. And if you have not read them yet, just it's never too late. Pick them up right now and then join everyone else in raving about them, please. It's true. <laughs> All right. So my number one book for middle grade readers that I read this year is The River Man by Erin Starmer. I loved this book. I loved it. I remember when I read it, commenting to my roommate that I was so lucky that I started reading it in the middle of the day, because if I had started in evening, normally I read before bed, and if I had started reading it before bed, I would have stayed up until however long it took me to finish it, because it was that gripping. It's, uh, 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 gosh, how do I, I don't even know how to describe it without giving away a lot of it. Um, it's a coming age, uh, coming of age-ish horror fantasy-ish story um, set in the 1980s. And it's about, it's told from the the viewpoint of a young boy who early in the school year, an old friend of his who he hasn't talked to in a really long time, a girl named Fiona, comes to his house and says, gives him a box 
and says, when you look in this box, talk to me again when you're done. And, and it is a tape that she has recorded that says um, something to the effect of, my name is Fiona. I was born on August whatever, 19 whatever. Today is October whatever, 19 whatever, and I am 13 years old. But the birth dates don't match up. She shouldn't be 13. She should only be 12. And she's asking him to write her autobiography. And when he asks why, she explains that there's this world that she has access to. And when she goes there, she stays there for weeks and months. And when she comes back, it's like no time has passed at all. But she's afraid for her life because all of her friends in this world are slowly disappearing and dying in the real world. And she thinks she's next. And it's how this boy gets involved and how all the other people in this town get involved and these missing children all over the world and how he doesn't quite believe her, but then he does believe her. Like he thinks that it's a metaphor and a story she's telling to cover up something else, but then things are too weird. It's so good. And it's, it's creepy, but it's not scary, scary. I don't know. It's, it's really great. And then uh, in the midst of it, this boy is growing up and, and becoming a teenager and changing from a child into an adolescent. And there's all layers of that. And I'm going to read a little bit of it for you now. This part takes place when he, uh, the main character, is hanging out with his next door neighbor slash best friend by default and his older brother. And his older brother is teaching them how to play a game of chicken with cars in a deserted road where you hide inside of a box in the middle of the road and essentially like hope that a car doesn't hit you. <laughs> and um, he decides to step up and do it. So who's next? Kyle said, I stepped into the road. Don't be an idiot. Charlie said, I couldn't tell if he was genuinely concerned for my safety or if he was only competing for my loyalty. I kept moving I knew if I thought about it too much, I would change my mind. So I simply crouched down in the center of the road and pulled the box over me like I was a tortoise and this was my shell. I had no idea what might happen. My only clear feeling was that I didn't want to be alone. It wasn't my parents or my sister or Charlie or Kyle that I needed. It was Fiona. I imagined her there with me, holding on to me, telling me that we would see things through together. It was a fresh and strange and terrifying and glorious feeling, and it spread through my entire body until I realized that Fiona was more than someone I wanted to help. She was someone I wanted to be with. All the time. I cradled these thoughts. I pressed my nose against the pavement. It was just north of freezing and smelled crunchier than I expected. I chewed it like an animal starting a burrow. It was pavement, all right. I brought my fingers to my ears. I didn't want to hear any car until it was right upon me. I didn't want to think about what might happen if I was hit. Would I be crushed? Would I fly? Pain doesn't always arrive immediately, so would it even maybe feel transcendent if only for a second or two? No, it would feel horrible. My numbness was fluttering away, and I had only a vague idea about what it meant to be drunk, but I decided I wanted to be drunk like Kyle. Anything other than what I was. How nice, I thought. How very nice to be obliterated. Or to be asleep, to turn the dial of my mind down to the lowest setting. And that's when, in the moment of my thickest loneliness and doubt, the box moved. It brushed against my knee and rose up around me like I was a roast pig being presented to a king. For Fiona to be holding that box would have been miraculous, but this wasn't that type of moment. 
It was the type where Charlie was holding it. And I could go on and on. I could read this whole book to you. It's so good. It's so good. And there's a sequel coming out next year. So you have like three or four months to pick this up and read it and be prepared for the next one. It's so good. All right. I'll, I'll get on that. I haven't read that. Um, my my pick for top um, middle grade book of that I read this year um, is also the National Book Awards pick. Um, and it is Brown Girl <laughs> Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. And this book is so great. We have, at my library, we have copies in um, children's and young adult. And honestly, like, I feel like we could shelve an adult, too. I think um, everyone should read it. But I think it's definitely um, accessible and enjoyable for for the middle grade reader, which I, I think is its um, intended audience. And it's Jacqueline Woodson's um, memoir in verse. And it's the story of her growing up through the civil rights movement and having family in both the North and the South and different ways that she was treated, um, different places that she lived. It's the story of her um, learning the power of stories and of writing. And if you've read anything by Jacqueline Woodson, you know she's a, a beautiful writer and this is a beautiful book. And I couldn't really decide what even to choose. So I'm just reading you the very first poem that's the very beginning. And um, hopefully then you will go out and read the rest of them if you haven't already. February 12th, 1963. I am born on a Tuesday at the University Hospital, Columbus, Ohio, USA, a country caught between black and white. I am born not long from the time or far from the place where my great-great-grandparents work the deep, rich land, unfree, dawn till dusk, unpaid, drank cool water from scooped-out gourds, looked up and followed the sky's mirrored constellation to freedom. I am born as the South explodes, too many people, too many years, enslaved, then emancipated, but not free. The people who look like me keep fighting and marching and getting killed, so that today, February 12th, 1963, and every day from this moment on, brown children like me can grow up free, can grow up learning and voting and walking and writing wherever we want. I am born in Ohio, but the stories of South Carolina already run like rivers through my veins. Yeah, it's really good, you guys. <laughs> I have to put that on my list. I haven't read that one yet. I want it to put all the everything surrounding it, but I've been too busy reading shitty books for the <laughs> podcast for the past couple of months. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, I guess on that note, let's let's talk about our worst children's books that we read this year. Sure. So my worst children's book was not necessarily a terrible book. It was, I always get this title wrong, Another Whole Nother Story by Dr. Cuthbert Soup. And I don't know the name of the person who that is the alias of. Maybe it's his real name. But, um, so I read the first one, um, I actually got the first one as an advanced copy way, way back when I started working at, um, when I was working at the bookstore, because the uh, store manager was like, hey, this is a kid's book about time travel, that sounds like things you like, and gave it to me. 
And those are things that I like. And I, I liked the first one well enough, enough to, to take the second one out of the library. But this one is, it was just different. It wasn't bad, but it was, I feel like he really only had enough material to make a very short book, but probably like, they were like, well, it needs to be like 150 pages. So he was like, all right, okay. All right, I'll, I'll write some more pages. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's funny. It's got moments of humor. But, you know, there's just times that it goes on too long. It doesn't really, it could be condensed, I guess, is what I'm saying. So I'm just going to read a little bit from the beginning because, like I said, um, I took this one out of the library, so I don't have a copy with me. So I'm, I'm reading on what's on the internet. Everyone knows that time flies when you're having fun. What many don't realize is that time also flies when you're having breakfast, lunch, a bad hair day, people over for dinner, difficulty with math, your cake and eating it too, second thoughts, a nervous breakdown, trouble breathing, a baby, or a cow. In other words, no matter what you may be having at any given moment, time is always flying. Thus, in order to travel into the past, one must fly even faster than time itself. This can make for a very bumpy and a very long ride. Dad, are we there yet? groaned Gerard, his skinny eight-year-old legs fidgeting in perfect rhythm with his reckless gum chewing. The gum was Gerard's last piece, and since he and his family were racing through the time arc to a year long before bubblegum had been invented, he knew the flavorless wad of pink goo might have to last him quite a long time. I told you to go to the bathroom before we left the 21st century, said Gerard's father, who was perhaps the greatest scientist and inventor of all time. And it goes on from there, but it's, it's, it's very, it's like that. It's very much like that. It's bits of kind of inspired humor laced with the most obvious joke you can think of. Mm. All right. Um, well, my my worst middle grade book of the year was Dangerous by Shannon Hale, which I was really disappointed to not like because I've liked a lot of Shannon Hale's other books. Um, I was hella stoked that this is like a, a sci-fi adventure novel with a heroine who's um, a biracial disabled girl. Like, that's awesome. I want a billion books like that. And um, this is still one that I book talk to kids, and I think that it's a good concept. And I think for a certain kind of reader who's very, like, plot-driven only, like, I think, you know, there are definitely kids who are into this. But for me, um, with my particular reading sensibilities, and maybe also just, like, combined with my expectations for it, I just did not care for it. It felt to me like she's trying to cram way too much into it. It's the story of of a girl named Maisie Danger Brown who... um, you know, she's half Mexican. Uh, she's was born with only one arm. She wants to go to space camp. She does go to space camp. And then she and four other kids go up into space and get special space powers. And then, oh my, and then like so much happens. Then there's like a love triangle kind of with her and um, some other kids with the space powers. And then there's also aliens who come, but then also scientists who want to like exploit the kids powers and it's just like oh my god like oh my god um so i'm just gonna read you a little chunk of shortly after the kids get their space powers um Maisie, Maisie is the the heroine and uh, one of the other boys says i bet Maisie's got it figured out it referring to their space powers what is your hypothesis miss brown asked cowell i did kind of have one well, maybe the token isn't just a nanite bag. It's a machine, too, and it's powered by something heart-related, blood flow or the repetitive beats. That's why the tokens were drawn there. 
But how could something created for another planet's species work as intended inside us? asked Jock. I don't know, Howell said, but we did find sloughed-off skin-like cells on the tokens. I believe that the species that made these are also complex, intelligent, carbon-based oxygen breathers. The adults were speculating on the tokens' function and adaptability when Wilder interrupted again. What else, Maisie? Why was he picking on me? I cut my eyes at him. Well, I started. Howell found the nanites in our spinal fluid. Maybe the nanites are powered by electricity in, in our nervous system, and they've turned our nervous systems into a network with the token as the router. And it's just like fucking space nonsense, like, like so much of it. I don't care. I just don't care. Sorry, Shannon Hale. All right. Well, let's go over to Young Adult, and why don't you start this time? All right. Um, I ha- I read a lot, a lot of young adult books this year that were awesome. I had a hell of a time narrowing this down to top five, and so there's definitely some arbitrariness involved here, of course. Um, that said, my, my number five book was Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future by A.S. King, who um, I've loved all of her books. This was maybe not my all-time favorite of hers, but it's still wonderful. Hooray. My number five uh, is Adaptation by Melinda Lowe, which this was a book that I was pretty much um, set out. I picked it up only because I love the author. I'm over YA dystopia. Like, I'm I'm glad that people are writing it and that it's there if people want to read it. But I've read so many that I'm pretty much into anything else. But I like her and I like queer romances in my young adult books and I actually found myself really drawn into this story. It ended up being completely different from what I thought by reading the like the the blurb on the jacket. Um, it's a little bit different than what you're gonna think when you read the summary. I like that added element to it. I don't want to like totally give it away because it was really cool to me reading it the first time and and stumbling across it. But um, you know, it's 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 a pretty traditional sci-fi book, but with this twist that I wasn't expecting, great characters, great writing, and a bonus queer romance. So definitely pick it up. Yay. My number four book of the year is Wildlife by Fiona Wood. It has a lot of factors that I'm sort of, that are often favorites for me. Um, It's about teenagers who have a wilderness semester, so it's kind of it's kind of like study abroad, but um, for camping. And I, I don't know. I love most young adult fiction about camping. I think that's a really good setting for kids to learn life lessons and have personal growth. It's funny. And then it also has girls coming to terms with some grief and making these really good friendships. And I I just, I loved it so much. And then um, I immediately went online and was like, what else has this author written? And I had this intense rage because... Uh, this is actually her second novel. Her first is called Six Impossible Things, and it's currently only available in Australia, and it's going to be published in the U.S. <laughs> next year, and apparently Wildlife is really kind of a spin-off of Six Impossible Things, and some of the characters overlap, and it, like, I want to read it right now, but it, I'm not Australian, so <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Go to Amazon.com.au. I, I think... 
I think, though, I don't remember this a little while ago. I think it's actually only available for Kindle for, uh, for like, Australian Kindles. And there's some kind of... Oh, that's weird. I don't think I could... I think it's, like, out of print in Australia. I don't know why I can't get this book right now. Because, like, if this book was so good, I'm sure the other one's great, too. Like, please give it to me right now, publishers. (laughs) Thank you. I also read a really a lot of really good YA this year. Um, I didn't read a ton of YA, but basically everything I read was superlative, so it was hard to put them in order. I did read. I think this was this year. I'm pretty sure this was this year that I read Eleanor and Park. Mm. I, I feel like it was in like January or February of this year, but this was another one that I read on the entire internet's suggestion, um, and it was amazing. And I cried, like, every other page. <laughs> it was really good. It was, it was, I'm sure that everyone has already read it at this point, so you don't need me to tell you to go read it, but you absolutely should go read it. It, it is just a really beautiful piece of work. I, yeah, I read that last year, or it would definitely be on my list, but I wasn't really prepared for how many feelings it would make me have, and I was reading it on a Greyhound bus trip, and I didn't have any Kleenex <laughs> or anything, so I was, like, crying and, like, wiping my face with my bus ticket. It was really something. I'm <laughs> laughing because I remember we're not alive tweeting this experience. <laughs> yeah, confirmation. This happened, and it was super classy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, it's your turn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wanted to chime in on Eleanor and Park, but my number three pick for books that I read this year, like Kate said, I too had trouble quantifying this, and I'm realizing now, I typed this list in one order, and I'm going to read it in a different one, because I had a last-minute change of heart, and I'm going to say my number three book was Cress by Marissa Meyer, which is part of the Lunar Chronicles. I, actually, I read the whole series, as, as exists this year, and um, thought it was a trilogy, it's not... Uh, so now I'm sort of waiting to find out what happens, but it's just all around. The first one is Cinder, Scarlet, and then Cress. They're all three really great. Cyborg Cinderella is sort of like the the tagline for Cinder, and then uh, Cress is like a you know space Rapunzel kind of story, I guess. And they're just like I love a good fairy tale adaptation. I've never read anything quite like these. They're very clever, and it's at, kind of at the core of it, but at the same time, taking it in these really fun and exciting different directions. Really great characters who you know continue continue on from the earlier books, and then meet new friends. And I can't wait for the next one. Really good if you like fairy tales or science fiction or robots or just books that are good to read. Um, my next one, and now that I'm looking at my list, I wish I had kind of uh, tweaked the order a little bit, but, you know, whatever. This was a good book, too. Uh, the Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black, which is a vampire story that I think we actually talked about a little bit when we did our Twilight episode. Um, it's of all of the, like, post-Twilight vampire stories that I read, this was the one that while I was reading it, I was most aware that we live in a world where Twilight exists. Hmm. But that's not necessarily a a bad thing, I think. It's a really interesting story. I really liked all the detail that went into the vampire society and what happened to society after it turned out that vampires were real. Because in the book, they, they had been stories for a long time, and then it's discovered that, no, they actually exist, and infest, uh, infections start to break out, and it's how the world responds to them. Well, I mean, all that happens before this book. And um, then it's it's uh, a girl, a human girl, who 
might be infected or, or might not, and how she survives in the vampire town, the cold town, the vampire, like, walled-off military, walled-off compound, and... Um, I was just really fascinated by all of the intricacies of the vampire society and all of that. And it was really fun. And I almost wish it was part of a series because I would love to see what happens to these characters next. But it also worked really well as a standalone. So. I'll, I'll just chime in it and say that also I read that last year and loved it. And Holly, like, let's just have a whole episode where you talk about how great Holly Black is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> She's so great. She is. Okay, I guess that takes us to number two. And again, this is really tight for me, but uh, for number two, I'm giving it to Blue Lily, Lily Blue by Maggie Steve Vader, along with the rest of the Raven Boys series to date. This is, again, I thought it was going to be a trilogy, and I was like, I'll just wait till they all come out and read them. And then I got to, and then I was like, oh no, there's a fourth book. And now I'm stuck waiting for a cliffhanger, like a chump. But it's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's worth it. They're all really great. This is actually, um, these are the first Maggie Stiefvater books that I've read. I know that she's kind of a beloved author and all of her stuff has been well-reviewed and I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't know. But now I'm definitely going to make it a priority to seek out her other books because these were so well done. And uh, The Raven Boys, this is the story of a girl named Blue Sargent and all the women in her family have various kinds of psychic abilities and Blue does not... But she's still grown up with this all around her. And then she um, ends up with this group of private school boys who are looking for... Yeah, I'm not even going to explain it. Just, like, please read it and then uh, talk to me about it later. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my number two book is Yay! The Raven Boys, which is the first <laughs> book in this series. Um, so I actually... She, I know that um, Maggie Stiefvater had another series before this. I don't know how many other books she had before this, but I remember reading the first book of her previous series, um, Shiver, and not being like super into it when it came out and not bothering to read the rest of them. But everyone I know was talking about the Raven Boys for so long that like I did that thing where kind of when everyone's super into something and you miss the train and you know how like sometimes you wait too long and then you're just sick of it. Like, there's that, that really sweet spot mm-hmm. where when everyone you know is into something, at least for me, like, you can jump on and be enthusiastic, but then it reaches a point where you're burnt out. And the year that The Raven Boys was released, everyone I know was talking about it, even people I know who don't normally read a lot of young adult books. So I was just kind of like, oh, whatever, I'll get to it eventually. Like, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I'll read what I want. <laughs> put it off and then I think I ended up asking for it for Christmas last year or maybe it was on sale around Christmas and I bought it on Kindle or maybe I got a Kindle gift certificate for Christmas I don't know I just remember I downloaded it um, when I was home in New Jersey and I started reading it when I came back from Christmas break in January and like devoured it I think I almost, like, I think I tweeted something like, I don't want to tell anyone how much I like the Raven Boys because they'll make fun of me for putting it off for so long. Yeah, for me, um, specifically my friend Sophie, um, shout out Sophie, um, said, you have to, like, you, Renata, specifically to read this, you specifically will like it. And I was like, I'll put a hold on it, but there's a bunch of holes at the library. And she was like, well, I'll I'll lend you my Kindle copy. And I was like, fine. 
And then, and I was a little, sometimes, you know, when people really shove things on you, you definitely get resentful. And I was like, no, I have to read it because she's like sending it to me. And then I read it and I was like, I read it all in like maybe two days at most. And then I like sheepishly texted her, could you please send me the next one? Thanks. <laughs> and also the third one. And so <laughs> I read them all in a, in a week and loved them. And now I want to reread them a little more. Sl- I haven't yet. I want to reread them a little more slowly so I can kind of like savor them and um, get things that I maybe missed in my furious binge reading. All right. I think oh, you're actually Because I took over. <laughs> yeah. <was> me. <laughs> okay. We have different opinions sometimes. Uh, <laughs> my number one pick for the year is Afterworlds by Scott Westerfeld, who um, he's one of those authors. I mean, I guess really everyone that I've said, except Fiona Wood, because I'm not Australian and I can't read her other book, but I, you know, there are. They're authors that I have loved their books, but Scott Westerfeld, I've definitely have read everything else that he's written, and he's read a lot of stuff where I'm like, uh, I don't normally like that kind of book, but I'll read it. And then I'm like, oh my god, like, steampunk is so cool, like, thanks, Scott Westerfeld, and like, oh my god, uh, like, weird zombie-like things are so cool, thanks, Scott Westerfeld. And then this one actually is the kind of book that is a little bit more in my wheelhouse, so I was like, yeah, and it's so smart and so well done, and I just am kind of in awe of how well it worked for me. And it's really two books in one, and it's the alternating stories of um, a girl named Lizzie Patel who basically did a NaNoWriMo-like thing. Like, she um, wrote this whole draft of a novel in a month and uh, managed to somehow get a huge advance for it from a publisher. And so... In the, during her senior year of high school, and then so instead of going to college, she takes a year off and moves to New York on her advance money and is working on, like, polishing up the final draft of the novel and, like, doing all this, like, promotional work and, like, networking with other authors and having this kind of, like, charmed author author life. and But also um, talking about difficulties with writing and especially, like, it's it's so smart the way that he talks about problematic elements in writing and like mythology and appropriating other cultures and i I love that and then it alternates chapters with that with like the like real life story of lizzie and then you get chapters of her novel and you can see like how her novel is reflecting things in her life or like how she maybe has changed things based on things um that had happened to her earlier and the novel that she is writing is based on um a little bit on um, Indian mythology, and it's the story of, um, oh, you know what, I messed up. The The author's name is Darcy, and the character in her book is named Lizzie. Yeah. Um, Darcy Patel is the author, and then Lizzie is this girl who um, has a near-death experience. She's at an airport, and some, like, cult-like terrorist ha- um, opens fire and, like, wants to kill everyone at the airport, and she alone survives, and because of this, is taken to an afterworld by Yamaraj, who's like an Indian death god, and she gets these kind of death powers and has this kind of paranormal romance. And and I, I thought, like, when I heard about the concept, I was like, oh, well... You know, I'll I'll be way more interested in in the realistic side of it, and like at every chapter, I was tearing through because I was like, oh well, that was great, but now I want to know what's happening in the afterworld, and well, now I want to know what's happening in Darcy's life in New York, and like I was equally invested in both stories, which I think is really impressive to me. Oh, and then there's also like really great like queer romance in the New York side. If you're interested in that, there's 
um, really great paranormal romance in the novel side. It's got like something for everyone and everything for me, and I loved it so much. And the excerpt I'm going to read is from the start of Darcy's novel about Lizzie um, when she's in the airport and just had her near-death experience. And this is sort of arbitrary. Like, I could read the whole book to you, but I won't. (sighs) Even in that awful moment, I could see that he was beautiful. He shone somehow, as if sunlight were breaking through the mist, just for him. He was one of those boys with a perfect jaw who looks stunning when he's clean-shaven, but just that little bit more handsome with the barest shadow of stubble. Don't be afraid, he said. I tried to answer, but my mouth is dry. My name is Yamaraj, he said. I can help you. He had the same accent as his sister, from India, I thought, with a touch of England. His words came out precisely, like someone who'd learned English in a classroom. I'm Lizzie, he managed. I managed. He looked puzzled a moment. Short for Elizabeth? I just stared at him. It was such a strange thing to say. Something flashed in the corner of my eye. Another man, running fast, ducking and weaving as he went. He wore a gas mask, a black uniform, and a bulletproof vest. He must have been one of the good guys, but at that moment he looked like a monster. Yamaraj put his hand on my arm. This is almost over. I'll take you someplace safe. Please, I said as he turned me away from the muted roar of gunfire. But then I saw what was ahead of us, the metal gate that had doomed us all. A dozen bodies lay at its foot, still and silent. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. We're safe now, Yamaraj finally said, and I opened my eyes again. We were in another part of the airport, where rows of plastic chairs faced the sealed-up doors of boarding gates. Televisions were mounted on the walls, their screens blank. Sliding walkways moved between glass barriers, empty. The light was just as hard and cold here, and everything still gray, except for Yamaraj, shining and brown. But the tear gas was only wisps and haze around us. I turned to stare back the way we'd come. The gate was in the distance, the fallen bodies on the other side. We walk through that, I asked. Don't look back. It's important that you stay calm. I get it. Nothing makes me more annoyed than someone telling me to stay calm. But the fact that I could snap at him meant that I was coming out of shock. My anger sputtered when I turned to face Yamaraj. His gaze was so steady, and the glint in his brown eyes softened the hard light around us. He was the only thing in this world that wasn't gray and cold. You're still bleeding. He grasped the tail of his shirt with both hands, and with a sharp movement ripped a piece away. When he pressed it against my forehead, I could feel the warmth of his hand through the silk. My mind studied a little. The dead don't bleed. I wasn't dead. That girl who found me, she's your sister? Yes, her name is Yami. She said some weird stuff. A smile touched his lips. Yami is unhelpful sometimes. You must have questions. I had a hundred, but they all boiled down to one. What's happening? I'll, I'll stop now, but I could read forever. It's so good. I actually haven't read that one yet, and it sounds <laughs> right up my alley, so it's going on my library hold list as soon as I can open a tab on my computer without Everyone it blowing Kate's up. Suit. Please put a hold on this book if you have not read it. <laughs> I actually, now that I think about it, I think my holds are maxed out. So <laughs> I'll maxed out and like Glenn books. <laughs> well, no, because I have all those books. I'm really mad because my... I can only um, put a hold on, I think, 10 ebooks at a time. And, like, I've freaking had holds on some of these things for weeks. You're only supposed to be able to take an ebook out for two weeks. And in some of them, I'm in the number one slot. That's weird. And I'm really mad about it. 
Anyway, <laughs> um, I'll talk a little bit about my favorite book of the year, um, which was for young adults, which was Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe um, by Benjamin Alire Senes. And I love this book so much. I love it so much. I don't know how to talk about it. <laughs> I started reading this, um, a friend of mine, my friend Naomi, actually, who was on this podcast, uh, was doing a Too Many Books book club where you had to spend a year only reading books that you owned or books that you bought from the library. You weren't supposed to buy any new books. That didn't work out very well for me. Um, but this was the first book that I chose to read for it. Um, I had bought it like the year before. It was a Prince Honor book and I had heard such good and it won like every other award that year. Or was an honor for every other award that year. So I was like, all right, I'll buy it. And I just never got around to reading it. And in case you couldn't tell from me talking about Raven Boys, I'm sometimes <laughs> kind of contrary. So the fact that I picked this book specifically to read for this book club, like, it took me months to read it. It took me almost a year to read it. Um, I finally finished it in, like, August. <laughs> Because I would read tons of other books every month, but every month I'm like, no, I'm going to finish Aristotle and Dante this month. And I literally wouldn't even pick it up because <laughs> I'm an idiot. But like, I loved it. Like, I loved it even as I was reading it and not finishing it. And I, that might have been part of it. Like, it's so emotional and so not heavy, but like deep and and it just like grabs you in the heart and you want to savor every page. And that maybe is why it took me so long. Cause I couldn't just speed through it. I cried <laughs> all the time while I was reading it. I said to my roommate before, when I was looking for a part to read, I'm like, I'm crying looking through the book to pick something out. I'm going to, I'm going to interject real quick. I, I was at um, the Prince Awards the year that he won the honor and his, I hadn't read it yet though. And his speech, like I cried at his speech because it was so beautiful. And I was like, well, I mean, if his speech is that good, I guess I should read the book. And uh, I'm, yeah. So oh my I'm, God. I'll second everything that you're saying and then let you get to your reading. It was just so, it's, it's a story of these, these two young boys, um, teenagers it's a coming of age story. They're both at least part Mexican and how they deal with that, how they deal with their very different lifestyles. Everything about them should be opposite. Dante is very cerebral. He's artistic. He's from, his parents are professors and he's from a better part of town. Aristotle is, Ari is the youngest of four by a significant amount. His father is a vet with, pretty bad PTSD, who is, he doesn't have a good relationship with anymore. Um, his older brother is in jail and his parents don't like to talk about it. His twin older sisters treat him more like a child than a sibling. And it's about how they meet and they find this connection and they fall in love. And it's just, it's hard the whole time for both of them, but they have each other and they don't know what they have. Ari especially, like, doesn't make the connection and Dante is just, oh my god, it's so beautiful. I'm going to read you a little bit now. Um, it's, um, Ari is sick. He's got the flu and he's been in bed and he hasn't been around to hang out with Dante. So Dante comes to visit him and he brings his sketch pads and some poetry. 
and tells Ari to read while he's sick in bed and that Dante's going to sketch him. And uh, I guess I'll just pick up from there. It didn't take long for me to forget Dante was drawing me. And I just read. I read and I read and I read. Sometimes I would glance over at him, but he was lost in his work. I returned to the book of poems. I read a line and tried to understand it. From what we cannot hold, the stars are made. It was a beautiful thing to say, but I didn't know what it meant. I fell asleep thinking what the line might mean. When I woke, Dante was gone. He hadn't left any of the sketches that he'd done of me, but he did leave a sketch of my rocking chair. It was perfect. A rocking chair against the bare walls of my room. He'd captured the afternoon light streaming into the room the way the shadows fell on the chair and gave it depth and made it appear as if it was something more than an inanimate object. There was something sad and solitary about the sketch, and I wondered if that's the way he saw the world or if that's the way he saw my world. I stared at the sketch for a long time. It scared me because there was something true about it. I wondered where he'd learned to draw. I was suddenly jealous of him. He could swim, he could draw, he could talk to people. He read poetry and he liked himself. I wondered how that felt to really like yourself. And I wondered why some people didn't like themselves and others did. Maybe that's just the way it was. I looked at his drawing and then at my chair. That's when I saw the note he'd left. Ari, I hope you liked the sketch of your chair. I miss you at the pool. The lifeguards are jerks. Dante. After dinner, I picked up the phone and called him. Why did you leave? You needed to rest. I'm sorry I fell asleep. Then neither of us said anything. I like the sketch, I said. Why? Because it looks just like my chair. Is that the only reason? It holds something, I said. What? Emotion. Tell me, Dante said. It's sad. It's sad and it's lonely. Like you, he said. I hated that he saw who I was. I'm not sad all the time, I said. I know, he said. Will you show me the others? No. Why? I can't. Why not? For the same reason you can't tell me about your dreams. Aww. Sorry, I like sort of cried reading that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you a moment to compose yourself while I talk about my least favorite way book of the year. Which, again, I didn't hate it. It was, like, fine. But, I mean, compared to these awesome books, like, I resented having read it, basically. Um, and it is called Let's Get Lost by Addie Alsaid. Alsaid? I don't know. And it's it's contemporary, realistic YA about a road trip, which is, like, totally my jam. I should have loved it. And it just felt, the whole thing just felt, like, way too, like, pat. And I'm sort of reluctant to use the phrase manic pixie dream girl but it like it is that it's the story of a girl who's on this road trip and as she goes around the country she like um changes everyone's life that she meets and it's fine um i'm just gonna read you a little excerpt from the first the first life that she changes on her road trip 
Um, she stops to get her her car fixed by a young mechanic named Hudson. Oh, I've, her name is Layla, by the way. Um, so she is she's about to change Hudson's life, and um, they're t- he's talking about like they're talking about things that are like magical, and it's you know it's like just very much that kind of like twee, like Garden Statey kind of vibe, but. Just sort of a like low caliber Garden City vibe. Okay, here's my thing. It reminds me of where I grew up. The girl said. Hudson heard her chair scrape on the floor as she scooted it back and walked in his direction. He expected her to stand next to him, but she settled in somewhere behind him, out of sight. At the elementary school that I went to, there was the soccer field. It seems like nothing but an unkempt field of grass if you drive by it. Hudson had to stop himself from turning around to watch her lips move as she spoke. But every kid in Fredericksburg knows about the anthills. There's two of them, one at each end of the field. One's full of black ants and the other red. Every summer, the soccer field gets overrun by this ant-on-ant war. I'm not sure if they're territorial or they just happen to feed off each other, but it's an incredible sight. All these little black and red things attacking each other, like watching thousands of checkers games being played from very far away. And it's this little Fredericksburg treasure just for us. Hudson caught himself smiling at the engine instead of replacing the spark plugs. That's great, he said, the words feeling too flat. The girl hadn't just let him ramble on. She'd unknown exactly what he meant. No one, not even Hudson's dad, had ever understood him so perfectly. Grilly, fuck you. <laughs> fuck your ants. Instead of this, just go read Everybody Sees the Ants by A.S. King and we'll all be much happier. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I've got my shit together. I'm fine. So, um, again, my worst of the year was not actually the worst. But, like, not bad. Um, I, I read it when it first came out and I really liked it and I'm kind of in a fight with Kate about her calling it worse but whatever (laughs) so my least favorite book my least favorite teen book of the year was name of the star by maureen johnson which is the first of the shades of london series and i i liked it i didn't not like the book i just i guess i i wanted it to be better like i i enjoyed it like i really did i think i read it in one or two sittings like it was enjoyable i liked the characters I liked the the writing wasn't bad. It just didn't like click with me the way I wanted to wanted it to. I I have the next one. I'll probably I'll definitely read it. You know, I'll definitely read the rest of the series, but I wanted something more from it than what it gave me. And it's weird cuz I kind of feel that way about Maureen Johnson a lot. Um she's very hit or miss with me. I love her on Twitter. Her Twitter account is legitimately probably better than any book that she has ever written. It's true. But that's not it's a amazing. dick, because her Twitter account is just really good. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the Bermuda's Triangle. I like the Sweet Scarlet series. Didn't care for the, what was it, 2019, 21 Little Blue Envelopes? The envelope one. Uh, didn't care for it. 13, whatever. Maybe that's why you didn't like it. You got the like bootleg edition with too many envelopes. <laughs> You know, it, it, she's very hit or miss, and this this wasn't even necessarily a miss. Yeah, like, I, I didn't not like it, but I've only read, like, eight young adult books this year. <laughs> so I had to pick one to be on the bottom, and this was it. 
<laughs> Renata's gonna send Marta to take a hit out on me. <laughs> um, so I'll read a little bit. Um, one of like the things that I, I guess, wasn't super into about it was like, and I know normally. I am able to turn off the part of my brain that's like, oh my god, the children shouldn't do that because it's dangerous. Because I hate when people do that about kids' books. Like, I just had a big argument with my boss about this recently. I don't even work in kids' lit right now. Like, I don't I don't work in that field, but it came up in a meeting at work at the insurance company that I work for. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, the kids need to have agency. It's important. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, so here's a little bit about Rory and Jazza sneaking out to meet Jerome, which I was just kind of like, really? Why are you doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> when I was reading it. <laughs> um, Who is it? Jazza asked. I cut my hand over the phone. It's Jerome. He wants us to go over to Aldshot, to the roof. Then you're right, she replied. He is insane. Jazza says you're, I heard her, but I'm not insane. Leave Hawthorne the back way and cut around to the back of Aldshot. No one is going to catch you. Everyone has checked in for the night. I repeated the message. Message. Jazza glanced over from her folding. Her expression conveyed the idea that she still wasn't very impressed with the suggestion. Say this, Jerome said. Say these exact words. Say, she'd never think you had the guts to do it, which is why you should. What does that mean? I asked. Just say it. I repeated the message exactly as he said it. The words had a strange, almost magical effect. Jazza seemed to lift up off the bed a bit, her eyes aglow. Have to go for a moment, Jerome said. Text me when you're coming. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. We'll be able to see everything from up there, and no one will know, I promise. He hung up. Jazza was still suspended there, half sitting and half standing on the edge of the bed. What kind of voodoo was that, I asked. What did that mean? He means, Jazza said, that Charlotte would never suspect I had the guts to use the exit. The exit? There's a way to get out. The ground floor bathrooms. There are bars over the windows, but one of the windows, the screws that hold the bars on have been loosened. All you have to do is open the window, reach outside, and give them a little turn, and they fall right out. Then you can push the bars back enough to get out of the window. I know about them because Charlotte was the one who developed the system. She loosened the screws. We can't, though. We'd get expelled. They said anyone caught leaving school grounds might be expelled, I said. It is school grounds. Guess, but we can't be in Aldshot, Jazza said, her voice getting lower and lower. That's just as bad. Well, not just as bad, but bad. Maybe it was simply that I had flown all the way to England and then had been locked in a building for a month. I really, somewhat bizarrely, wanted to see Jerome. Jerome with his floppy curls and goofy ripper obsession. I'll just stop there. I could keep going. I didn't really have a place to stop. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. I mean, not not bad. I liked it, but, you know, I, I wanted to love it, and I didn't love it. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of part one of our 2014 uh, Year of Books wrap-up. Um, we'll have part two where we'll have our best and worst for adult books and also comics and graphic novels. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a great 2014 and will have a great 2015. 
As ever, you can um, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, like and review us there, like us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, email us on email, do all the things. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.